Hey everybody, Joe here. What you are about to hear is a special episode of Five Stripe Final in which we talk to club president Darren Eels, as you probably already know from reading the title of this podcast. This episode is also available on our Patreon page, that's patreon.com slash Five Stripe Final, and it's been unlocked for everybody to hear, so if you are interested in hearing more exclusive interviews like this with Atlanta United players, former players, journalists, fans, and more, we invite you to subscribe and become a patron with us. And before we begin, a special thank you goes out to our current patrons who not only helped us with questions that we asked Darren, but just in general helped make this interview possible. So with that, let's get on to the show. Bash right final, JCM Jones from the mothership, Joe Patrick from Knights, point out of the game, and Dirty South Soccer is over there. Darren Eels is with us, and Darren, we're glad you're here, first off, but the people want to know, what's it like being a primary school teacher in England? <laughs> I must admit, that was uh, quite interesting when I found that he was uh, on Twitter, and that was one of my favorite cryptic tweets, was uh, reaching out to him and uh, coordinating that. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's one of my burner accounts. I've got them all over the place. <laughs> That's great. That was actually what we were going to ask about later in the show. We'll, we'll get to that more. Um, but we said that we were having you on to a couple of folks and they're like, oh, the school teacher. And we're like, no, 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 Darren, the, the, the president. We, we got him. We got him. Um, we're, we're glad you're here and we're glad we can have you on at a point where not only are things kind of getting better in the city, in the state, but for the team specifically, everyone, I think, is starting to feel a little more optimistic about the direction of, of pretty much everything. Pretty much everything at this point. I wanted to get a sense of where you were at personally, especially coming off uh, of last year, which was tough for everyone, tough for the team. How are you feeling as as Darren Eels, not the president, maybe Darren Eels, the person? Yeah, look, I'm like all the fans before the game uh, in Costa Rica. You know, it's almost the best time of the year, that hope and excitement before you played the games. Um, but no, I mean, I feel really good about the direction of where the team's coming from. Uh, I spoke about this quite a lot, sort of looking at this fifth season as being almost like a relaunch or a reboot of the team because, you know, 2020, the asterisk year, the one I, you know, hope in 10 years' time, everyone will wear it like a badge of honour, like the Man City fans that were at the nil-nil game against Port Vale that they all sort of talk <laughs> about. Like, that, you know, it's never happened as a year. But, um, but I do think that, you know, that lack of having the fans in the stadium, you know, everything about the year was crazy. So this was a real chance for us to re-energize and, and almost um, get back that fun and that excitement. And I think, you know, I feel that sense of it as we had the build up to the season. I think, you know, I'm really glad we did the kit launch in person. That was something that, you know, no other team did that. And, and as we were thinking through this year, for me, that's one of the sort of tempo events that, that we've always done as a club. And I'm really glad we did it because the fans turned out. It was a great experience. We were able to live stream it. But I think we got that sense of this is what the club's about. And look, 
we want to be competitive all the time, but we're in sports. Things go up and down, and there were a lot of mitigating factors to the 2020 season, not least with you know Joseph being out, out for the season. I think if you look at what happened to LAFC with Vela, they had him for like three quarters of the season out. They almost dropped as much as us, but because they made that last playoff spot, it didn't really become a story. So I feel like there were some mitigating circumstances and some things obviously we could learn from as a club. But uh, what I'm most excited about is getting that buzz back, getting that excitement. You know, we're so fortunate as a club. Think about the amazing fan base we have, um, you know, you guys doing the podcast that people listen to. We're so fortunate compared to other MLS cities that that we have that um, that amazing fan base. Um, but, you know, that comes with the, the negative. I'm not going to pretend that, you know, last year was fun at all. It wasn't. But, you know, I felt it just as much as the fans. And I think the one thing we did do was, you know, and I'm proud of, we acted how we felt we should quickly. And I think we did a good job in sort of identifying some of the flaws, trying to rectify them because no one's perfect. But I think it's about how you react and deal with it. And uh, we're excited about that. Yeah, I want to kind of dig into that just a little bit in terms of what were some of the priorities or guiding principles that you and Carlos obviously would have a big you know share and hand in this in terms of re restructuring or reformatting this team into you know something that again you said you learned from having you know gone through 2020. What were some of the things that kind of you were focused on qualities bringing back into the team to this year? I think you can see it in the midfielders. So a bit. You know, we wanted to go younger and more dynamic. And I think, you know, Franco Ibarra was someone that it's interesting. Uh, we could talk about the game later, but, you know, if you, there is a difference from watching it on television and being in person. Like for me, he had a great game in person because you were seeing all the running and closing down we had to do, particularly with 10 men. So I think, you know, that dynamism, obviously, Santiago Sosa, fantastic player. But again, you know, trying to get a little bit younger in that sort of engine of the midfield was something that I think we were looking to do. So we were pleased to get those two guys in. I think that was that was important. And even, you know, with someone like Lissandro up front, like we can't expect Joseph to be playing every game this season. So again, you know, that was someone that we felt was an important piece to give us that experience, uh, that leadership in the dressing room. We've lost, you know, a Jeff Lorenowitz, who was a great leader for us. So again, trying to look at that balance. And I think it's something that that we did a fantastic job when we started the club up. Um, I think we sensed that there were some areas that we could solidify in, and that's what we tried to do in the offseason. It, it's funny that you mentioned being there in person because we, we had a chat going in the Discord channel saying, you know, man, I cannot wait to see this team in person. And I was saying that's a really good point because when you see the team play with your own eyes in the stadium, you see all the space, right? You see the the empty space mm-hmm. that can be very scary when you're playing in the style of a Gabriel Heinze or a Tata Martino, you know, where they're pro- playing one-on-one high up the field. Uh, what were your overall observations from the team in just in that first game? Yeah, look, I mean, it was, obviously it was a game of two halves. Um, I think <laughs> I am in your uh, Mothership article, you know, before Rocco and after Rocco, but I think... <laughs> on both senses, like before, I thought, you know, for our first game, playing against a really good team, like I think, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think people perhaps appreciate how good a side they are. So I think that was, you know, definite. Um, their quality was there. But I thought that we did a good job saying it was our first game for that first 40 minutes. Um, you know, we created some chances. We were on the front foot. Obviously, then when we have the the sending off, I'll be honest, you know, half time I'm thinking I'll take 2-0, just right. give us something to go back and, <laughs> yeah. and fight with. So for us to come out, get the penalty and then uh, hold on was was really impressive in a different way. And I think that was, for me, where 
you know, you, you watch the sort of commentary after the game, uh, and this is a safe space where you know we're all friends here, Joe. But yeah. a four for Barco? Are you kidding me? I know. Like, <laughs> so it's funny that so I was doing I, I was like making notes during the game and I got to be honest, my ratings for that game were they should probably all be ticked up one because of that second half performance. I was definitely more focused on like the technical aspects of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he he certainly showed a ton of effort and kind of exactly what you would want to see from him in that second half. I think he was very crucial for the team getting the win. The four was harsh. Yeah, no, I'm only one. I'm glad you weren't my teacher at school, though. Bloody hell. <laughs> But um, but that running, but I think, you know, the running that everybody did um, in terms of covering that second half was uh, was impressive. And I think, look, you couldn't ask for a better result as a coach to galvanize the team, you know, where you've had to sort of change it at halftime and you actually go out there and get the win. So I think, you know, for all of those reasons, uh, we can be pleased. It is only the first game of a a long process. And look, let's not underestimate them. They're a good team. And, you know, we're going to have to be on our on our metal for the return leg. Well, that driving force behind a lot of that running gives me manager Gabriel Einze. Uh, you've been around him for a few months now. You've kind of gotten to know a little bit more about his style, about the way he works. What have you taken away from your first few months with him in charge? Yeah, I mean, he's, um, look, we knew this in the process when we were, were hiring the coach that, you know, he's very, very intense, very, um, very focused. I think uh, it was interesting as well because he hadn't coached since March of last year. Uh, we obviously had the preseason. I think he was even more sort of intense perhaps than, than he would be normally <laughs> because he was just, you know, couldn't wait to get out of the pitch. And, uh, you know, we obviously had the COVID protocols and he was like a racehorse that you were just trying to hold back from uh, getting with the players and and wanting to work with them. So I think, you know, he's intense. He's, you know, a football, a soccer man through and through, you know, that's what he, he lives and breathes for. Um, I think you've seen that in the way that the team's been prepared in preseason. Um, I do think, like all coaches that have come from outside of of MLS, I think he's still getting to terms with what it means to to be a coach in MLS. And I, I mean by that sort of, you know, it isn't like Argentina. Perhaps the media isn't as intense and as negative. Um, there's a lot more from a media and building the club perspective than perhaps you would get if you were coaching in Argentina or Europe. So I think just like with Tata, there'll be elements where he comes to learn, but but like anything, you can tell someone something, but until they've actually seen it and, um, you know, felt it themselves, there's that level of learning. So I think there's still going to be learnings as we go through the season, you know, what it's like to go and play the, when we play Seattle on the West coast and then we're having to come back and, and play midweek because that's just the, the nature of MLS, but, but he'll grow with that. But it's been, uh, it's been exciting to see so far. And I would just add really quickly in defense of Gabrielle, it's very uncomfortable doing these things via webinar when you can't really see each other <laughs> and things like that. So there's, mm-hmm. yeah, that definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah. That will be improved. I think for sure. Um, so Adam had kind of a follow-up question. One of our listeners, Adam, he said that, you know, the team has now worked with three managers. So there's a bit of a sample size now. Are there personality or coaching characteristics that you prioritize that kind of align with the club in terms of the ambitions, the players on the, on the roster, um, and just like general things that you've learned from competing in, in MLS? Yeah, I think, um, look, I think you learn all the time. Like if I go back throughout my sort of history on, on hiring managers. I think, look, firstly, it's always about a, a moment in time. So it's very difficult to to sort of say, you know, it's going to be always this type of manager because things change in circumstance. I think the most important thing for me 
uh, and learning with with Atlanta United with MLS is you know just you know we have a style of play that we built from the start. We have um, you know players that we try to identify for those positions. I think being really laser focused on making sure that you know the coach is going to be playing in in that style of play. Uh, everyone else will change, and everyone has different strengths. So you look over our history of managers. You know Tata was wonderful for us starting up as a new club. He was more experienced. Uh, more worldly wise. I think I've spoken about this for me when Joseph got injured. If you remember, he got injured on international duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also thought Miggy that night had got injured. That's I right. Yeah. The next day, you know, uh, and he was really good about, look, picking me up saying, you know, we have a squad, <laughs> it's next man up. But, but, you know, that for me was good. I think Frank was a great, was underestimated a couple of things. One, our season in 19, that everyone seems to forget, was the most ever points as defending champions. And we lost Miggy, by the way, which was a was a focal point of that 18 team. Um, you know, we won those trophies. But he was a great developer of players like a Miles Robinson. You know, Miles Tata, I love him to death, but he wasn't having Miles. Um, but, so everyone has their strengths, but I think for us in, in Gabby, what we've got is someone that that we know is going to play the style that that we, I say we, the fans that we've become accustomed to to watching. And I think you know with the players that we have, and even you know some of the players last year that they'll all admit had disappointments. It wasn't just on on the manager; it was just a poor year all around. But take a Jake Moraney, I think you know he would be the first to admit that he didn't show what he's capable of preseason under Gabby. He's taken that chance to uh, to impress the new manager, and I think you know that's what we're encouraged to see. That you know it, I don't think it was a bad squad last year. I think we've added to it, and I think under the new manager, which is exciting for all of us, I think we're going to see the true potential of the team. We've learned a little bit more about hiring a manager. You've also learned a little bit more this off season about what it can be like just trying to get a center back in. It's been a little bit hectic. What's that been like on your end? And what can you maybe tell us about Alan Franco? Yeah, look, um, and as you guys know from the cryptic tweet when we announced him, you know, it was like the drummer from Spinal Tap. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. every time we thought we might have someone, something happened. So to be honest, uh, it, it's funny. Like, I, there's been more drawn out sagas. I think of when um, you know we sold Gareth Bale to Real Madrid. That was mm-hmm. a pretty uh, high-profile mm-hmm. saga. But but in terms of one spot, it just seemed like <laughs> every time we thought we had something, it fell through. But look, I mean, you, you never know all these journeys. And I think you know, in Alan Franco, we're really excited to have got a top class you know, young central defender. And we spoke about it, you know, dynamism in the team. I think, you know, he's got a chance to to really make a mark in this league. And I think the league will suit him. I think the style of play will suit him. So so uh, we're excited to finally have got him on board. Did did he stand out to you guys? And maybe this is would be a better question for Carlos. I mean, I'm sure it would. But did he stand out when you were kind of scouting Independiente during the Ezekiel Barco transfer? Did that play into the signing at all? Or- yeah, I mean, you're always looking, Joe. So you're absolutely right. I mean, when we were looking at um, Ezekiel back then, he clearly was just coming onto the scene. And so you know, you're always thinking for the future. That could be someone. I'll be honest with you. I think we thought at that stage then, you know, it was going to be too expensive in terms of a player to bring in because we tend to sort of focus, as you know, more on the sort of top end of the pitch for the for that type of salaries and um, um, transfer market. But, you know, Independiente as a club had a bit of a disappointing last 18 months. So in a way, I think, you know, sometimes you can get lucky in, in players that become available at the right time. And I think, you know, Joseph was a classic example of that in terms of, 
when we were building the team and hopefully, you know, Alan can be another example of that. Well, there's, uh, there's difficulties. I kind of wonder if that maybe weighed a bit on Gabby's mind. I wonder what the interactions uh, were like with him. Did y'all kind of have to, to soothe a little bit and be like, no, no, we're going to get it done. I promise. Yeah. And look again, we spoke about the, you know, one of the differences with MLS more than anything else is how you build a squad and it can be just so uh, I'm still baffled and I'm now, you know, six years at it. Um, so, you know, <laughs> trying to explain that, you know, there's a certain profile of player that has to fit this age. If you want to bring him in is, is difficult at the best of times, but you know, uh, when a manager say, well, all I want is a centre half. You're like, yeah, yeah, but you know, <laughs> this guy's six months too old to be able to, to fit in. Is, uh, it's difficult. Yeah. But, um, That's hilarious, yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, and, and you know, Tata was the same. I remember some of the, the early chats with him early on was uh, he'd almost get to the stage like, I just don't care. Just tell me, you know, who it is that I was playing. Hey, well, so uh, on this note, I want to talk a little bit about, because another guy who came to Atlanta United this offseason was Paul McDonough, who obviously has a huge role in in this kind of thing. Can you just explain for fans kind of what the value of having Paul in the organization brings? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the greatest value of Paul was um, he's someone that fits our culture. And as we built the team, I think it's really important that you have you know, people that don't necessarily always share the same views. So I think, you know, the dynamic of Paul, myself and Carlos work really well as a, as a trio. Um, mm. I think, you know, Carlos, you know, has all of the experience as captain of America. He's very, very good at, you know, he's got one of the greatest eyes that I've known in sort of all the clubs I've worked at for talent. I think Paul gives us a dimension with his background in, in helping us to, to drive some of the deals you need to have, uh, different people playing different roles. And I quite like it now. I used to do the other role at Spurs and Daniel would be, Daniel Levy would come in at the end. I get to play that role now. So I quite like that. <laughs> I can be the Daniel Levy. And, uh, but you know, you need to do that sometimes. You have to tee sure. a deal up and then, you know, you'll come in at the top and, and and try to close it. So we work really well as a, as a sort of trio. Um, so I think that was the most important thing, you know, and uh, yeah, so we were delighted to get him back. Well, people are excited to see the team you put together and just really excited to to get back in the stadium in general. I know me and Joe are itching to, to get you just even back in the press box and, and try to see if the ice cream machine is actually <laughs> working that day. Um, but what can you tell us right now about the team's kind of plans going forward for allowing fans back in the stadium? We know that there's 50 percent capacity coming up for the opener. What are the plans to kind of integrate more folks as we move along throughout the year? Yeah, I mean, we were excited. It was interesting because we didn't know till we did the survey to our fans on, you know, what the level of confidence would be. Um, we sense that people are getting more and more confident. Um, I think, you know, obviously with Mercedes-Benz Stadium, with the vaccines now, and anyone who's listening who hasn't had a vaccine yet, just sign up. You know, I think you can even go on the day now and, and get it done. It's um, it's really seamless. It was funny. My wife had hers done there the other day, and she said it was like it's like a Disney pandemic. You know, you can just go there and you line <laughs> up. It's like a Disney ride really quick. It's easy. Get your vaccine. So we, we felt really good. We went out to our season members, and we had the demand to – to, to go to 50%. I think, you know, we're being cautious, we're trying to be safe, but we're also seeing that, that things are opening up around the country. So, you know, for us, we're excited to try and get to that 
that next step uh, as soon as we can safely. And, you know, we'll take it cautiously, but I think, you know, our fans are, are getting um, getting confident. And I think as we get more and more people vaccinated, that our hope is sooner rather than later that we can go to that, that magic 100%. And, you know, that's the bit that's really been missing. It's been really fascinating for me as I've spoken to sort of colleagues back in the Premier League in England. You know, when they talk about this season that we've been having, they almost think of it as... It's not real. Like they're doing it. We're getting games. We're huh. broadcasting the TV. So we're satisfying that sort of craving that fans have got. But actually doing it, it's just not real. It's not the same. And um, I mean, that's the bit I can't wait for. I think even 50%, I'm really excited because I think that gives us a big home field advantage straight away because, you know, 20,000 odd in Mercedes Benz Stadium is going to be loud. But, but I can't wait for that first 100%. You know, for for Gabby, for the players that we've got on our squad that don't know what it's like to be be a, you know at an Atlanta United game, um, it's amazing. And I saw um, recently they were doing it with Mark McKenzie, who's now playing out in Belgium. Uh, they asked him what was the most intimidating atmosphere he'd ever played in, and he was like, hands down, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I couldn't even hear myself think when they had the playoff game here with Philadelphia. And you know, that's what I can't wait to get back, and you know, just can't wait to to savor and just be feeling, you know, back to normal. Yeah, for sure. I'm kind of curious. And again, going back to Sam's point, just talking about your personal experience, not even relating to the, well, I guess it kind of does relate to Atlanta United, but just like, was there a moment in time where you started to feel optimistic about, again, not the team, but just the general optimism about the return to normalcy in society for the state, you know, for the fans? Was there a moment? Because I feel like for me, it was probably, I don't know if there was a specific, uh, instance that kind of triggered it but it was somewhere around like january ish maybe that I, that i started to feel like that was there a moment for you or any specific time where you started to kind of get optimistic again yeah i think i'll be honest i think it was our kit launch i think for me that mm. was because again mm. we'd undenard and no one else had done one in in mls um and we were having an internal debate because you know i spoke about it like so the the, the reboot you know talking to our associates you know it was stressing the fact that, you know, we've got to build the club again like we did at the start. That, you know, the way that we built it, one sort of almost one supporter at a time, trying to find those touch points, those moments where, you know, we can share the excitement, but but it's that human connection. So, right. you know, we yeah. debated and we said, let's let's do it. And you know, firstly, you know, I don't know why I ever get surprised with our fans because they always blow me away. But <laughs> uh, I think you guys were there, but like everyone was already in their spot like an hour before we even starting. So, you know, that was, that was fantastic straight away. But, but afterwards sort of just going around and, and doing the socially distanced photos with the fans, it felt that, that Atlanta United feeling of a match day, that sense was there. And for me, that was, that was the moment that I got, got that excitement, that buzz back that, that this was going to be something special again in 2021. I'll say that you and me had the same day then because I remember I went and got cookout. I went to the stadium. I kind of sat there and it was just kind of surrounded by people and lights and a bunch of sensory things that I hadn't had in a few months. And it, it felt good. It felt good. But what maybe doesn't feel good is, is we won't see a certain player in that brand new kit this year. Jeff Lorenowitz retires, uh, unfortunately, uh, to the five strike final audience, especially um, any memories of Jeff personal testimonies, just any, anything wonderful you want to say. Yeah. No, I mean, look, firstly, I mean, Jeff's just, just a legend. The fact that he announced it by someone else's Twitter account, it's like, he should have taken out an editorial in the wall street journal or something, you yes. know, and like, <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, look, Jeff was, was a fantastic professional for us. Um, you know, in terms of, of building the club, I mean, 
I sort of look at it and I think back. So, you know, when we recruited Jeff and, you know, I've said this to his face, like if you'd have told me he got the number of appearances he did after two years, I'd have said, oh, crumbs. We were a flop manager <laughs> as a franchise launch because never in my wildest dreams did I think he'd play as many games as he did. But, you know, that's part of who Jeff is. He proves you wrong every time. So, you know, loved him, loved him to death. Wound him up as well about being Brown's second ever best soccer player. You know, because he went to a great mm. university. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, look, for me, like classic Jeff off the pitch was the dad jokes. You know, I never thought when we did the, the first dad jokes, my feeling was you could never beat Jeff Lorenowitz in it. That was then until I did Frank DeBoer, who literally is the hardest person <laughs> ever to do a dad joke with because he has no sort of, right. he's the best deadpan of, of anyone. But, you know, Jeff was just, he was great fun. He was uh, a great leader. And, you know, I'm excited to see what he does in the future because, you know, look, he's obviously a smart guy as well. So, uh, you know, I think he's got a great next part of his career ahead of him. Jeff was great fun. We consider this next segment pretty fun as well, Darren. This next segment is called Rapid Fire. We're going to answer these questions as quickly as possible. Mike asks, what is your favorite stadium food? Stadium food. Oh, I like the uh, closed on Sunday chicken sandwich that Kevin Gillespie does at the stadium. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Smurfy asks, what's your favorite restaurant in Atlanta? Oh, tricky. It changes. Uh, I do like Iberian Pig Indicator. That was the first restaurant I went to, so it's got an uh, emotional attachment. Kojo asks, do you like to golf? And if so, what is your dream course to play on? I'm not a great golfer, but I do like to, and luckily Arthur loves it, so quick one. We play in a course called Floridian, private members course once a year. We do like an Atlanta night trip. We did it about six weeks ago, and I came out to go and get into my car to go and play the morning round and just waved at Obama, who was opposite, who was about to play <laughs> as well. So that's the sort of level that, that uh, I'm shoot? spoiled to death now. I can't go back to the sort of the, the pace of play courses that I usually play on. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Uh, Sam asks, do you have a burner account? Ah, well, yeah, and I've got obviously the one in uh, Newcastle where I had to lay the the groundwork with the school teacher. There's obviously the Darren Eagles one as well. So I've got a few <laughs> angles. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Serenity ask a uh, favorite 80s movie. 80s. That's a shame because my favorite movie of all time is Clueless, but that's 90s. So Die Hard, I think, if I had to go 80s. Well done. Well done. Christian and Sam both ask, if you were named the king of MLS for life, what is your first major rule change? Oh, if I were king, I'd just get rid of all the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chaos ball. I love it. It's like full conquer calf all the time, always. Uh, Grisessa asks, a favorite away stadium? Orlando, because we never lose there. <laughs> Christian asks, uh, best show you've watched recently? Ooh, best show. Um, so sadly, I was super late to West Wing. Never watched it. Um, thought I wouldn't like it and just ended up racing through it, but just made me more and more sad as to, you know, <laughs> America's in now, because just to give a bit, like the West Wing, that is the view everyone outside America has had of America for right. decades. And right. then to actually be here for the last six years made you sort of appreciate even more. So Jed Bartlett for president. I love it. I think all the pessimism is Aaron Sorkin's fault. Um, let's see. Adam asks, whiskey or beer? Ah, beer. Oh, whiskey could. Whiskey was the first drink I ever had as a, I'll not say how old I was, and that's tainted it for me forever. Uh, Grisess, wait, no, we already got that one. Kevin asks, would you rather fight five toddler-sized Jeff Lorenowitzes or one Guzan-sized Miguel Almiron? <laughs> I would take the Guzan-sized Almiron. 
Wow, okay. not the answer uh, I was expecting. Smur- yeah, I know. Interesting. Rapid fire. <laughs> Smurfy asks, what's your favorite non-MLS Cup game? Favorite non-MLS Cup game? Probably um, Minnesota, I think, just because it was the first win, that relief of getting your first ever win. Obviously, we'd lost to, to Red Bulls, disappointingly, and uh, we went out in the snow, and I must admit, I was a bit nervous because they got a whole team of Scandinavians, and he thought, this is perfect for them, and half our team had never seen snow. So to win that first one was was pretty awesome. And that was rapid fire. Well done. Well done, Darren. I'm disappointed, though. I missed the it. business time slot. I thought I was going to be able to bring uh... <laughs> ah, we, we, could, we could throw the business time uh, <laughs> music. in there somewhere no i did uh, i heard <laughs> that the other day it. and yeah i love flight of the concourse i was like yeah nice yeah <laughs> right, you got <laughs> uh we love it too we love it too and we love that you're able to come on with us uh we really really appreciate it and we hope to have you back yeah, soon. No, absolutely and look thanks guys for, for all you do i mean uh, i know it's been uh you know it's been a journey but i honestly mean it we wouldn't be where we were today without without the support we have from our supporters but from you guys in particular what I loved, I should have mentioned it on the show, so I, I feel bad. So get me back on. But the night before tweet at midnight and the the amount of love <laughs> that got like around the soccer sphere speaks volumes for what you guys have done for Atlanta United and just generally how, you know, it's just that whole ecosystem that promotes the club. I couldn't believe it. everyone was retweeting it. It's just brilliant <laughs> to me. So I really, really do appreciate you guys. Thanks. Well, we appreciate everything you've done as just the, a steward of this club. Really, really in awe, honestly, of of your role and everything that you've done. So thanks and thanks for coming on. And yeah, again, hopefully we can get you back on. Cheers, guys. Bye, all. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to this completely arbitrary internet content piece. <laughs>